completely within our control. We're living through the single biggest culture shift of our time. This is the time for us to just really take charge. That's what revolutions do. They enable the impossible. There are a thousand different productivity apps in the world. And the reality is, most of us are still a mess. Today, we're talking with Amir Salia-Fendich, the CEO and founder of Doist, who hopes to solve that problem. Doist is the company behind the productivity app Todoist. For 10 years, it's been helping people manage their workloads. And now, Doist is setting its sights on communication with their new app called Twist. On today's episode, we're talking about why Doist isn't really solving a technology problem, it's solving a human problem, and why it's time to make these apps work for us rather than the other way around. I'm Megan Keeney Anderson, and this is The Gross Show. Hey, Amir. Hello. How are you? It's Megan. I'm pretty awesome. How are you? Good. Thanks for joining us this afternoon. Yeah, and thank you for having me on the show. No, we're excited. So, Amir, you created the idea for Doist back when you were still in college in Denmark. Can you explain to me a little bit more and to the audience a little bit more what Doist is? Yeah, so basically, like, Todoist is like our product, which is like a task management app. And then Doist is our company. So we are like a remote first company. In the beginning, uh, when I actually started this, I didn't really intend to create a company. So I basically like created a, a tool for myself. And uh, I was a student. I had a ton of stuff that I needed to do. I had like two part-time jobs as well and some personal projects. And I, I needed like a tool to manage myself. And I didn't really like the, most of the tools that were on the market. So I basically, you know, implemented my own little tool. And then, uh, yeah, that was like 2007. And then I actually like first created a company in 2011. So there's like four years where it was just like a side project for me. So that's really interesting because it's been 10 years now. How did you decide that this Todoist idea was worth pursuing as a full-time company? Between the four years in the beginning, I, I did that other like project management app called WeDoist. So I didn't really like see the potential in Todoist itself at the beginning. Huh. And the, the thing is, like, when I actually returned back, like, so I was like four years away, which should usually kill any project, but it didn't right. kill for this. I had like a really passionate users. I also had like maybe a thousand people paying for the product, about $3 per month. So it was actually also generating some revenues. And then I said to myself, like, why am I trying to like do these other things where I actually have something that, that kind of works? Yeah, how did that compare to your other startup? Well, the other startup, it was like a social network. Uh, so basically, we, we burned through millions of dollars and we got like millions of users, but it wasn't really a space I was very interested in. And it, I really didn't feel very passionate about social networks. But like it did pretty well, like in terms of what a social network should do, like you know, connect a lot of people and get a lot of traction. But from the business point of view, and also just like my personal belief is like, I didn't really want to, to work in this space. That's really interesting. So it was better funded. It had probably more users at the time. But the project you were passionate about, the personal project is the one that won out. Yeah, yeah. And actually, like, that's really, I think, very important lesson for me, at least, is that you kind of like need to, uh, you know, align your personal goals and like motives with your work. Because if you don't do that, like 
even if you have a lot of success. So like uh, my the social network I did had a lot of success. And on the outside, it may look like, you know, I was just living the dream. But in, like inside, I was just like burning and getting very frustrated with everything. So so I think like that's very, very important lesson. And I think definitely something that maybe could inspire others is basically like pick something that you're really, really passionate about and something that you even want to work on in your spare time and work on that instead of chasing, you know, dragons. <laughs> Did it feel like instant relief when you changed over to do the thing that you actually cared about? Uh, yeah, yeah. Like, I really felt like I was burning out in a really bad way. And I basically hated my life. It's probably one of the toughest parts of my life that was like when I worked there. That's also like why when I started to do this, I actually had a funding option. I basically turned that down. And the reason was that I basically got like a very, very bad experience with like a VC. So I was just like, you know, I don't really want to take the same path. I, I want to try something different. Yeah. Is that because the the funding was there so you weren't focused? Or what was it about having the funding that felt less productive than doing it on your own? I think like we focused on very, uh, like we didn't basically have a business model. When when we wanted to implement a business model, it was very, very difficult. And that's something I also learned is like the business model is not just something like you turn on and then suddenly, you know, you have a good business. Uh, <laughs> I think the business model needs to be baked in from the start. And that's something we didn't do because we had funding. So like we didn't really need to take care of expenses and like think about like how are we actually going to make money on this. Yeah, that's definitely the, a philosophy that a lot of companies follow, which is let's make something and figure out how to charge for it later. Let's make something and figure out where the revenue comes from later. But with Todoist, you were actually having paid users from the very beginning. Yeah, yeah. So basically, like, I actually baked in the business model in 2007 because I didn't want to pay for the hosting. <laughs> So, Amir, let me ask you this. Um, so Todoist is essentially a way, a productivity app, but it's a way to make your life simpler, to make it easier to get work done. That's not an empty space. There are a lot of other productivity apps out there. Were there that many when you started? And if so, why enter such a crowded field? That's a really good question. And to be honest, when I started, I didn't really look at the competition. And even like as I developed this, when I returned back in, in 2011, after four years of being going away, I returned basically to a very, very competitive field. And some of our competitors had tens of millions of dollars in funding. Probably from the outside, it looked like a suicide mission. I think like, you know, ignorance is a bliss. So I was very ignorant. I didn't really do much market research and stuff like that. To be honest, like we are, we have never really been driven by the competition. I think that's probably something that can be learned is like maybe not focus that much on the competition, focus on your own product and, you know, improving that instead of like thinking about, oh my God, I'm going into this field with thousands of the competitors. Well, what's interesting to me is that even though there were thousands of other productivity apps out there, the problem was still there, right? Because you're coming from a very personal place with this. You needed to do this to organize your own life. And so your problem wasn't being solved by the thousands of other productivity apps out there. So it's interesting to me that like, even though the field can be crowded, if the problem is still there, it's not crowded enough. Yeah, definitely. If there was like a Google of uh, task management apps, I wouldn't really have entered this field. But there, there wasn't. And I, I think, I still think actually this problem is unsolved. Like even by us, we are still working hard on actually solving this problem. 
So after 10 years, why is the problem still unsolved? What remains? Yeah, I mean, that's, uh, you know, that's probably a billion dollar question. Uh, I think like one of the things to know is some things like you're basically like not really solving a product problem. You're solving psychological problems. Uh, and I think basically we are in the business of solving human psychology and not so much, you know, about product issues or, or whatever else you have. Yeah, let's dig into that a little bit more, the, the human psychology angle of this. Why do you think it's so hard to get clarity when it comes to your work? The, the, the thing is, I think like a lot of other spaces, uh, you can kind of like, like for instance, social networks, you know, people are social by default. Uh, so they will actually think it's a, it's a fun thing. I don't think like people are very organized by default. And it's maybe something that only, uh, you know, a small percent of people are. So how do you actually create something that kind of like, makes people more organized and wants uh, or like creates a need for organization. And I think that's probably where the ball falls is that most people by default aren't really like into self-organization or like improving their productivity. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes a ton of sense. So moving on from Todoist to Doist, the, the company as a whole is a little bit, bit of a different model than a lot of other companies out there. You're a hundred percent remote you, um, you know, you, you probably rely heavily on organizational tools and communication tools to make your company run well because you're not physically in the same space. Can you tell me about your decision to build a company that's 100% remote? Uh, yeah, I mean, basically, like when we started this and when I started this, like remote wasn't really a thing, like especially remote first. There was no books on this subject, but my, my need was uh, at the time I, I was living in Chile and uh, I had like two options. I could you know, stay in Chile and try to hire people from there, which was very tough. Or I could like relocate to San Francisco, or, like New York or London and, you know, like do the standard route of building a company and building a startup. And for me, like I met my wife at that point and uh, yeah, I didn't really want to move. So, so I, I needed to like find a plan B and plan B was basically like hiring people remote and trying to make that work. So that's basically like how the idea got born. And then like later on, it kind of like is a movement right now. And there's like a lot of companies that are quite successful, like Basecamp or WordPress. I think we did a, a very cool decision, but it wasn't really like very planned. It was more a need and a problem I needed to solve. Yeah, that seems like a trend in your life. I mean, you started Todoist because you had a personal problem with, you know, needing help with becoming more productive with your work. And you decided to make your company remote because you had a problem to solve. And I think it's really interesting that instead of adapting to uh, sort of the existing ways that, that people work, you try to figure out how to meld work around you, um, which I think is really smart. I think productivity and communication kind of go hand in hand, especially when you're working with teams. And to me, that makes logical sense why the, the next product you're, you're developing right now is more in the communication space. Can you tell me a little bit about that product and where the idea came from? Basically, uh, I mean, we have always tried to use tools that are kind of like modern and just like not use standard stuff. So we were actually one of the first adopters of like Slack. So at some point, like the problem that we really faced was that Slack was like anti-remote and anti-focus. It was just like very stressful, especially like if you're a leader inside a company and you're like inside Slack, like I could actually be inside Slack 
all day long and just like respond to stuff because we cover almost all time zones in the world. So <laughs> that was in a very productive way. So basically uh, the reason why we did like this new tool is that we kind of like want to promote more mindful communication and also like asynchronous first communication. So this means like you don't really need to be online all the time. You don't need to respond all the time. Uh, I think this creates like a much better culture in terms of communication and also like in terms of just like not stressing people out. And uh, it is also like for remote teams, I think it's probably the only way you can actually make this work is by being asynchronous first. So like a tool like Slack does, does not really work that well in a remote setting. Yeah. Okay. So there's a lot there I want to unpack. So first of all, the, the new tool is called Twist, correct? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Great. Um, and I, I think that that point around, I mean, I, I've certainly felt it, the, the urgency of seeing the notification of um, coming from Slack and feeling like you need to respond in that moment and the hours that are lost by always being perpetually available to the, the call of that, of that message. I think everybody sort of felt that, whether it's in Slack or an email. How does asynchronous communication address that? It's uh, mostly about like trying to make the whole product and the whole experience mindful. So like all the features that we actually add, we are always thinking about like, does this actually make the experience more mindful? Uh, so for instance, like uh, online indicators, we don't have that because like that would make the product less asynchronous or like any other stuff where you can kind of like add a feature and then, uh, you know, like ruin this uh, mindful aspect of the product. So I think like there's probably going to be a movement around this and i think we're already seeing this for instance like basecamp are also promoting this kind of of thinking yeah that's so that's a really interesting descriptor mindful what does that mean to you i think maybe it's just like that the product is designed for my well-being for instance like in twist you can have like a way mode set automatically uh, you can even disable it altogether like in the weekends so the product does not really ping me uh, about anything after eight so so that's like one feature i think that is very good. We also have vacation mode. So when you turn on vacation mode, all notifications stop. People can see that you're actually on a vacation. This also like is a way for people to disconnect totally and really promoting that kind of aspect. And I think like as we go along and think in these terms, we'll try to make everything human first and then technology later. Human first and technology later. I think that's that's fascinating because we we sort of have become a little bit of a slave to to our email, to our chat systems. So what you're saying and actually this actually reflects a lot of how I think you've you've lived your life if I can go there, which is adapting the technology to your life as opposed to adapting your life to the technology. That is very well said, yeah. When you think about so I understand how Twist is different from Slack or from other messaging systems. What's the difference between twist and email? Um, are we sort of swinging the pendulum back to that model? I mean, I think like email, I think actually email is a pretty cool thing. And, you know, still like if you look at the world communication, email is still like the most dominating factor by like a huge margin. Like, yeah. So Slack probably has like only a few percentages of the world's communication and probably less than that. I would probably say less than 1%. The asynchronous model, uh, I think has always been the preferred model of communication. Just like if we look at IRC versus email, you know, email has won by a huge margin. And even like in the consumer space, 
we don't really use MSN Messenger or ICQ anymore. Mm-hmm. Like we use something that's like more asynchronous, such as WhatsApp or Messenger. So how is Twist different from email? I think like one of the things with email is it's a very old technology, and most of the protocols have been built 30 years ago or more. So so basically, what we want to do is like we want to do asynchronous communication, but like do it in a much more modern way. And also like email, you know, there's so many problems, especially like when you onboard new people. So for instance, if you onboard a new person in Twist, they can see all the past conversations, they can join channels, they can search, and all of this is available for them. If you join, you know, via email and somebody's using email, you don't really see past conversations. And if you want to see them, people need to forward stuff for you. And then you kind of like have this mess of just like, you know, in-line emails and responses that is like very unfriendly. So I think that's just one aspect. It's just basically making stuff more modern and also like making it much easier to actually see past conversations and past data, which is kind of like a, you know, the brain of the company or the team is basically your communication. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it's interesting. It's been a long time since anyone has sort of re-envisioned email. A lot of every new email product is based on the previous email product. And so they all start to kind of look the same. Similar story goes for messaging systems. They they start to mirror each other a little bit because there becomes this vernacular or this understanding of what a messaging system should look like. To me, that this sounds very different. Uh, yeah. And I think like also in this product, we're kind of like trying to think from the first principles. And I think that it's probably like Elon Musk's way of, of innovating is basically we don't really look at what others are doing that much. Like we're trying to solve problems in the best way that we think they should be solved. Uh, so like if you, you know, base stuff on email, then you kind of like need to uh, adopt a lot of stuff from the past that maybe makes no sense right now. Yeah, no, definitely. I think um, so in terms of thinking about you know building from the past versus looking to the future, what do you think is next when it comes to how we communicate at work? What really gets you excited about this industry in particular? Um, so, I mean, that's another thing. And I think like we will see huge changes on this is uh, AI and like uh, including AI. And like, when I say AI, it's maybe more broadly, like smartness into work tools. So like if you look at the current work tools that we use, such as, you know, Slack or, or Gmail or whatever else we use, they are kind of like dumb. Uh, they don't really do any kind of like or very little smartness for us. So like in email, you know, like I use Gmail. So like I need still to go in and process stuff and see like what's actually important and what isn't. Uh, in Slack, you know, you get uh, hundreds of notifications and there's like no kind of ordering, no kind of help of making you like prioritize stuff. Um, so, so I think definitely like that will be something that at least like we will focus more on is basically like how can we uh, remove a lot of the grunt work from people so they can kind of like focus on the important stuff. And I think like AI and like just knowing a lot about the users and like knowing about their preferences and stuff like that. And then uh, inserting that into our product, that will be the way that, that we are going to do this. That makes sense. There really is such an intersection between communication and productivity. I want to swing back to the productivity side of things for a moment. You've you've alluded to this. I've mentioned it. There are a lot of productivity apps out there. What is it that you think about productivity apps that can maybe slow us down at the end of the day instead of helping us? Hmm. 
Yeah, that's a very good question as well. And uh, I think definitely people should be mindful about these things and also like their productivity system. So if you kind of like do micro management based productivity system, then maybe like you're spending a lot of times on stuff that does not really matter. So I think like even if you use tools and stuff, you should always think about like, is this actually important or not? And where should you actually put your focus on? And also like just doing a lot of small tasks mm. and a lot of random things might not really be the best usage of people's time. I would say like uh, really being mindful about where you spend your energy and not so much maybe about the tools or like even the, the way that, that you work. So do you see Todoist then as having a role in helping people come up with what to do next, helping them brainstorm? Uh, definitely. I think uh, having a system, and I think like most people right now, they don't really have a system and they keep stuff inside their heads. And then you kind of like get overwhelmed and maybe you don't really have the overview to see what's actually important or even to like reflect over what is important. So I would definitely like recommend and I hope, you know, Todoist can become such a system that can kind of like give you overview and insight into uh, your days and like where you're spending them and you know what kind of things do you want to prioritize well, you mentioned before that you know people are inherently social so social media tools make sense people are not necessarily inherently organized and it's a skill you have to learn is there a tipping point when people start to use Todoist where it's clear that they've started to pick up that skill set? Um, I would probably say like when uh, your life becomes very complex, you have a lot of responsibility or you have like a lot of stuff that you're doing, then you will probably gravitate towards, you know, having a tool that can help you manage all of this. And when you talk with users after they've started to use Todoist, what is it that you hear from them about, you know, when Todoist started to actually simplify their lives? People usually have a lot of different paths into Todoist. And like actually one of the biggest problems is uh, short-term usage. So our problem is like we use, uh, lose most of our users in the first couple of days. Right. But if they actually stick for like a month, then like after the words, our retention is basically like static. Uh, so uh, yeah, I think maybe when you adopt such a system, you kind of like need to get a habit and like just start to use it and then use it for maybe a month or, or, or a few weeks. And then, you know, it will become to make sense. And then you will not really be able to function without it. Uh, yeah. Yeah, there is that theory that it takes a good 21 days of doing something consistently before it becomes habit, before it becomes a way of life. So what can other people learn from how you train your users to use Todoist? I think probably like the biggest tips I, uh, I can give on this is to have a system and have like be consistent with using this system. So you, you kind of like um, have something that's kind of updated all the time and that you kind of maintain. Because I, I think one of the biggest problems for people is they're kind of like trying a system out, then something comes up and then they kind of forget about the system and then they come back to like outdated system. Probably for me would be to to have like a very uh, like be very strict and disciplined about maintaining a system. So you can kind of like have something that you trust and you know like if I put a task there or something there, then it's going to get done at some point, and I will actually maintain this state. Uh, 
Right. So consistency is key. Yeah, consistency and maybe also discipline. If you look at like our pets, like one of the problems that, that we have is basically people used to do this one week, then they forget about it for two weeks, then return back. And then like, I think this is a very bad way of using a productivity system. It's amazing. You can actually sort of see them trying to become better, uh, trying to make their lives a little bit more organized um, and fighting themselves on it. Back to that point you, you made around everything comes down to not just the technology, but the psychology behind it. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that's probably like one of the biggest hurdles in doing uh, like things in the productivity space is that you're just not solving like product problems. You're solving like psychology and human issues, which is much more difficult, but I also think also rewarding. So like if we can crack this, then we will probably like make lives of maybe hundreds of millions of people more happy and less stressful. You know, that's at least the dream. So, so we will see. Yeah, absolutely. Make people or give people the room to live their lives in addition to being stuck at work. Well, Amir, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us. Amir Salafendich is the founder and CEO of Doist, creator of Todoist, and coming soon, creator of Twist. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I hope, uh, you know, I give some perspective and some tips here that might be useful. Absolutely. It was great to have you. Hey, thanks for listening. If you want to support the show, you could rate and review us on iTunes. It makes a huge difference and helps spread the word. And if you want to drop us a line, we're always around on Twitter at The Gross Show. We'll be sure to respond. <laughs>